welcome to the Vineyard Northwest podcast. At Vineyard Northwest, we aim to be a culture that welcomes heaven to earth by raising up world-changing kingdom leaders. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our executive pastors, Wilson Cochran. This morning, what I want to talk about is the fear of the Lord. So the title of my message is The Fear of the Lord. Turn with me to Acts 9. As we dive in to uh, this message, I want to just kind of alert your attention to the fact that the phrase, the fear of the Lord, appears 27 times in the Bible. That's a lot, okay? Like the same exact phrase to be repeated 27 times. What that should alert us to is this really means something. <laughs> it should be like, hey, pay attention. This is, and, and something even deeper than that, it, it should alert us to is, this is a concept. Maybe another way to say it is, this is a theme. The fear of the Lord is a biblical theme that we are supposed to learn and understand. And um, a very easy thing to do would be just to read that sentence, the fear of the Lord, and to translate that to, I fear roller coasters, I fear you know, illness, or whatever the things are you fear, and then you'd be like, okay, fear God, like that, right? That'd be an easy thing to do. But I wanna suggest to you today that that's the dumbest thing to do ever, and it's really wrong to do that. And I'll be the first one to get in line and say, that's what I've done so much of my life. But I feel like I'm getting revelation and understanding on what the fear of the Lord really means. And there's actually people in this room who definitely have understood that long before I have. I just have the mic, so I get to talk about it. But it's a really important concept, um, and I wanna whet our appetite. I'm, I wanna kinda like deconstruct that idea and reconstruct that idea this morning, but before that, I wanna whet our appetite for the fear of the Lord. So Acts 9, 31. This is the, the Christian movement, the church movement of uh, people following Jesus and gathering together to follow him is brand new. It's just you know, a couple years old on the earth. And this is a, a statement about what was happening in the area of the world, Palestine, Israel, with the church, okay? Here's what it says, Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So who wants to see church multiplication? Come on, right? Who wants to see disciple multiplication? That's why I, I want to see disciples multiplying. <laughs> I, want to, I want to be part of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You know, that's actually the last thing Jesus said to do. Go make disciples. The last thing someone says is usually really important. Before, you know, last thing he said on earth. So what are the two ingredients to the church multiplying? Comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. The church was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know that when you're walking in the fear of the Lord, you're gonna end up in situations where you need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now per, turn with me to, but we all want that, right? We want the churches to be multiplying. And it's cool, I mean, churches are multiplying. Look at Vineyard Finneytown, that's amazing. But what if 10 churches spun off from Vineyard Finneytown and 10 more spun off from here in the next couple of years? And it was all new believers coming into those churches. It wasn't church transfer. Who wants to see that? Right? Come on. So the fear of the Lord, people. Uh, Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9, 10. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. All right, so what is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Who wants wisdom? <laughs> me, right, okay? So that means I need the fear of the Lord. And this challenges, this provokes me, and this actually encourages me. Here's why it encourages me and why I should encourage all of us. I have wisdom. I mean, I don't have it in its totality. Everything I do isn't wise, but there's definitely wisdom in my life. And when I look out of this room, I see a ton of people walking in wisdom and just doing things that are incredible and astounding, and I'm inspired to be in a church, honestly, with the people I see here. So the reason that that's encouraging is because it means that we're doing this well. We're walking in the fear of the Lord. We are. Because the only way that we could be walking in true wisdom is if we're walking in the fear of the Lord. So like, believe in your heart, and I'm like, cool. Like, any area of my life where I'm walking in godly wisdom, that means that I actually have a revelation of the fear of the Lord. Maybe I haven't been able to put language to it. I can't explain to you what the fear of the Lord is. But anywhere in my life there's true wisdom, that, that's evidence of the fear of the Lord. Now, I know I'm tossing this phrase around, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. I'm going to explain it later. Um, but I'm withholding the information so you stay. Uh, but here's how, this, here's how this first statement provokes me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is earthly wisdom. James talks about earthly, in the book of James, it talks about earthly wisdom. And it's really actually intense what James says about this earthly wisdom. He says it is sensual, meaning it's feeling-based. It's earthly, meaning that it is based off of the way the world operates. You know that the world's operating system is in opposition to God's operating system. And then also it says it is demonic in nature. So there is wisdom out there that is actually feeling-based, worldly, and demonic. I probably operate in that wisdom sometimes, if I'm being honest with you. I, I'm sure, no, I, I definitely do. Um, and I would hope that everyone in the room would have the humility you know, to say, I do too. So my point here is that we need to be rooted in the fear of the Lord. It's not enough just to say it's a good thing or to partially understand it. If you wanna steward true wisdom in your life, then you need to be able to steward the fear of the Lord in your life. You need a revelation and an understanding of the fear of the Lord if you wanna walk in true wisdom. Because what's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Here's a great example of worldly wisdom. Get insight in order to know God. I gotta do things and learn things in order to know God. No, 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 it's the opposite. Know God to get insight. The world wants us to do things before we, and oftentimes the church, I'm not trying to pick on the world, you know, like any worldly way of thinking is all I'm getting at. Not this church, we're the best church, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't even know what I'm saying now. All right. Um, knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It's knowing God that's the goal. 
That's the goal. Not getting things, not having clarity, not having understanding. It's knowing God. That's the basis of having insight. And also I would propose to you the basis of fearing God, having the fear of the Lord. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Who wants that? I want my days to be multiplied. I want years added to my life. All of this comes from having an understanding of the fear of the Lord and being able to actually steward it, having articulable, articulate? (laughs) Being able to articulate the fear of the Lord. So, before I go any further, I wanna tell you something God spoke to me personally about this. I was in a prayer meeting and I'd been contemplating I've been contemplating this whole idea of fearing God and the fear of the Lord. But in this prayer meeting, I wasn't actually contemplating it. I was just, you know, worshiping. And God just kind of spoke to me out of the blue. It wasn't like spoke to me audibly, but it was just this inner sense. I heard something really clearly in my heart. And what I feel like he said to me was this, Wilson, you'll never fear me how I want you to until you've received my love how I want you to. I feel like he said, Wilson, you'll never fear me how I want you to You'll never have a biblical fear of me until you have received my love the way that I want you to. So before we talk about the fear of the Lord anymore, I think it's really important that we actually talk about the love of the Lord and the love of God. Because you know it says that God is love. So like his most, I'm like, okay. His most foundational attribute is love. And we're gonna actually read that and talk about that. But Turn with me first to Isaiah 11. As we're on this journey of um, undoing our misunderstanding of fearing God and building up a godly, a biblical fear of God, let's start in Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So what the heck is that talking about? Um, God made a promise to a guy named David, and David's father's name was Jesse. And God said to David, I promise you that your descendants, your physical or earthly descendants will sit on my throne and rule my kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, forever. God made that promise to David, whose father was Jesse. So when you read this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What is it talking about? Who who, who reads genealogies in the Bible? Okay, Jesus is in the line of David. <laughs> That's why that genealogy is in there. You know how you're like, all right, I'm gonna read Matthew today, but not the first 10 verses, because it's genealogy. Well, actually, you know that genealogy is important because it establishes Jesus in the messianic line. He is the fulfillment of this promise to David. God promised to David that your descendant will rule forever. Well, look who comes along, but Jesus, who is a descendant of David. So immediately what we, 
what we gather as we read Isaiah 11 is, this is about to start talking about God's Messiah. Isaiah is about to start talking about his promised Messiah. And Messiah just means deliverer. It didn't have, to the, to the early readers of this, it didn't have the connotation of God. They didn't think of Messiahs as gods. They thought of God as God. Because kings all over the Old Testament are referred to as Messiahs. So what they're thinking is, okay, um, the person that's gonna lead us out of exile, that's gonna restore Israel, that's gonna bring us into fulfillment of relationship with God, ears perk up. I'm gonna start listening now. Verse two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So who loves that list? I mean, I do. I want the Spirit of God to rest on me. <laughs> I want wisdom, I want understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, all of that, yes. Sign me up, up and down, I will stay in that line forever. But then put me in the line for the fear of the Lord and you know, I'm like, ah. <laughs> but check it out, this is an indicator of the Messiah, is that he would walk in the fear of the Lord. Anything that's an indicator of the Messiah, I want in my life. <laughs> I wanna stir in all of us hunger for the fear of the Lord. Verse three, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So right here, this tells us something so powerful and amazing about the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. It will bring joy, peace, exuberance, happiness for him to fear the Lord. So what does that tell us about the fear of the Lord? It has nothing to do with feeling scared. <laughs> it has nothing to do with better stay away. It has nothing to do with a lack of safety. It has nothing to do with a lack of trustworthiness. Any ideas like that, the orbit in our mind around fear, that's not what the fear of the Lord is talking about. It's talking about something close and related to all of that, but not that. And then the next this next phrase, I think, really opens up for us the fear of the Lord. Okay, so his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now this next phrase is describing what it's like for your delight to be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So you're walking in the fear of the Lord when you don't think you know best. That's the essence of what that says. He will not, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Tell me, what do you think that means? Like catch the heart of that scripture. The heart of that scripture is he's not gonna make his final opinions and judgments based off of what he thinks. He is gonna recognize that there is a superior, different, elevated source of wisdom that he must be in alignment with. That's what it means to fear God is to recognize I don't know best. I don't know best. He knows best. That, this is the place that surrender comes from. I really feel like fruit in our life can be kind of, can a lot of times trace back to the fear of the Lord in our life. If you wanna look at a place in your life where you're really seeing a lot of fruit, I would propose to you that it's an area where you're really surrendered. It's an area where you're really obedient, where you're really submitted to God for this thing. That's what it means to be in the fear of the Lord. 
So now turn with me to um, 1 John. Let's just pray, though. Just put your hand on your head. And just, just confess this if it, it's real for you. Just say, God, I haven't feared you right. Starting today, July 11th, 2021, I wanna fear you. I embrace fearing you, God. Now put your hand on your heart. Just say, Lord, I surrender. You're the boss. You're in charge. I love you. I'll follow you. So Lord, I just bless everyone in this room. I thank you that any lies or junk just falls off right now in Jesus' name. Thank you that today changes everything for some people in this room, that they're gonna get insight into how to function and work better. They're gonna insight into how to do their marriage better. They're gonna insight on how to parent better, how to do relationships better. Just so much insight. I just see God releasing tons of insight over the room right now as you prayed that. So Father, I bless that, that we would walk in, the, your, in fearing you and therefore walk in true wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Going back to this whole idea of God loving us. Because remember what God said to me, and maybe it's not true for everybody, but for me it was, and I think it might be true for several other people, that to fear him right, we need to be really uh, solidified in a revelation of the fact that he loves us. The world is just constantly sending the message at us that we need to prove our worth, that we need to be the type of person that is lovable. But this core truth that God loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, it just, we can't move away from it. We need to just continually root ourselves there, hang out there, abide in that thought. So 1 John 4.10, John's writing to a, a church that, um, is in all kinds of weird places spiritually. They're, they're embracing some bad teaching and it's causing them to go weird directions. And the teaching that John realizes they need, the foundational teaching he needs to give them so they can get back on track is the love of God. So verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So in this is love. The very substance at its core, this is how you can look at love and understand it. Not that we loved him. That is not the core revelation, perspective, understanding we're supposed to have of love. Not starting with me, in other words. The core revelation of love is him towards us. You know what's so amazing about that? He never changes. So you don't need to worry about, do I love God enough? I mean, that's important, but you gotta start with, does he love me enough? And it's yes. <laughs> 
Does he love me? And you go there, you just keep going back there. He loves me, he loves me. And like, it feels selfish, all right? It doesn't feel right, it goes against the flesh, but it's how God set it up. He set us up to receive from him. That's our primary job in life. Receive from him, listen to him, understand him. And from that place will come all the fruit, radical obedience, and all the things we wanna see, and all the things that he wants to see. But if we skip that step, if we start at loving him, and we don't start at receiving his love, we end up striving, we end up getting tired, and we just gotta continue to return. And no matter what, you gotta return to the fact that God loves us. But what I'm trying to get through here is, this is like the cornerstone um, message of our faith is that God toward us. God, he created the world. He sent his son Jesus. He sent the Holy Spirit. It's all him towards us. And there's just so much peace in this for me. When, I, when I'm feeling off balance or whatever, this is the one thought I can always return to is he loves me. His love is constant towards me. Nothing can separate me from his love. Let's look at it some more. Um, 1 John 4, 16. And you know, part of the human problem, I think, is we misinterpreted getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then that got passed down, just kind of like in our spiritual lineage or something. We interpreted God rejecting us, when in reality, he was protecting us. He said, get out of here, because if you drink, if you, after, the, after they disobeyed him in the garden and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they got spiritually corrupted, they could have reached over and grabbed from this, the tree of life and lived forever like that. I just imagine Eve like eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then like walking over there and God's like, no, get out of here, like go. You guys can't stay here. That can't happen. I want a chance to redeem you. Don't eat from the tree of life after you've eaten from the tree of not. So what I'm trying to get at is like, um, when we get born again, we have a new natural way of thinking about God. And that's that he loves me. So we gotta continue to renew our mind with he loves me, he cares for me, he wants what's best for me. First John 4, 16. And you can probably already see a glimmer of how that so deeply relates to fearing him right. You know, First um, John 4, 16 says this. Let's just read 16, 17, and 18. No, let's read 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I love this. Know and believe. Bob Hazlett, who's speaking here in several weeks, amazing prophet, great teacher, he says this. You can't have revelation if you don't first have information. So like reading your Bible, even when you don't get revelation, is incredibly valuable and helpful because <laughs> you're accumulating revelation, you're, you're accumulating information that God can breathe on so that you then have it real for you. Um, but this is what it's saying is know and believe. That's the essence of revelation is you know it and you believe it. Intellectually understand it and in your heart it's real. So when we, so We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Nowhere else in the Bible does it say God is this thing. God is love. He is in totality expressed by love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. If you abide in the fact that God loves you, you're abiding in God himself. 
And then what gets even crazier is, when you're doing that, you're entering, it's, you're um, acknowledging the union that exists. That it's not just that you're committed to God, but God's actually committed to you. I, I abide in God and he abides, he abides in me. That's hard to believe that God abides in me. That's union. And it starts with receiving his love. So we see what um, love is. Now, verse 18, why I was almost just gonna write to 18, it really unpacks for us what fear isn't by talking more about love. So look at 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So you read that first statement, there is no fear in love, and then you're like, wait, what the heck? Wilson's trying to convince me that there is fear. Like, we're supposed to fear the Lord. But as you keep reading, you see that the direct parallel here is a fear that has to do with punishment. He's talking about um, punishment-based fear. Punishment-based fear. Think about this. Punishment is the way that the world controls people and things. That's what the purpose of punishment is, is control. God doesn't want to control you because <laughs> that's not loving. That's not how he acts. That's why people freely go to hell because <laughs> he's not going to force people to do something that they're not going to choose to do. So the opposite of love is, if, if one of the opposites of love is that type of control, then what he's saying here with punishment is if your concept of fear has to do with punishment, then you don't have a full revelation of love, which means you can't, which I would say that means you can't understand fear, the fear of the Lord. So whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I know I'm kind of just a little bit all over the place. I'm sorry. Um, not perfected in love. Remember earlier when I was talking about human wisdom, earthly wisdom, demonic sensual wisdom, and then divine wisdom? How many of you know that there's human love? There's a human definition, a worldly definition of what love looks like, and then there's a divine definition of what love looks like. This is the immature, imperfect love. This is the perfect love. So when you're in perfect love, you understand that God's not gonna punish you. And the only way to get, part of, the, part of the way of getting into perfect love is understanding properly how to fear him. Not a worldly fear of him, which has to do with punishment, but a divine fear of him, which has to do with deep reverence, deep awe, respect, um, an acknowledgement that his ways are higher. So there's a couple of other things I'm trying to say, you know, we gotta reject a terror type of fear and embrace a reverence type of fear. We need to reject the idea that it's me towards God, and we need to embrace the idea that it's God towards me. And when you get that recipe, that milkshake going, <laughs> then you walk in the fear of the Lord, and you receive his love. And it's just amazing. Your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. <laughs> um, I play on a softball team with a bunch of guys from this church and from uh, people not from this church. And I am the pitcher on our softball team. Well, I used to be the pitcher. Now there's like three pitchers on the team. 
And the reason there's three pitchers on the team is because I got really scared of pitching. And so I was like, I don't want to pitch. Someone else pitch. And here's, here's what happened, okay? I thought I was sweet and tough. And when I pitch, okay, so in softball, basically the whole purpose in slow pitch softball is for them to hit it. Which means that like the last place you want to be is throwing the ball to them. Because you're the closest and they're going to hit it. <laughs> and I didn't really understand that. I'm kind of slow. And so I was playing, I was pitching and then I would like kind of play defense. I'd pitch it and then I'd be like, let's go, you know? And everyone on the team was telling me, hey bro, like after you pitch it, take a step back, you know, like move to the side. Like, I mean, some guys pitch wearing a mask and other stuff like that. Um, Cause it's that, the danger is like that real. So last fall, I got hit by a line drive in the stomach pitching softball. And I was like, <laughs> like I got hit and I like died instantly. <laughs> but I, I actually, this is true. You can ask people, I picked the ball up and threw him out. And then I went back to screaming on the ground. <laughs> and my mom called an ambulance. <laughs> and I had like a huge blue purple welt on my stomach. I thought for sure that I was, there's an EMT on our team. So he was like kind of feeling it and making sure there wasn't like really bad stuff going on. And I, I ended up being totally fine. But I mean, totally fine after a couple of days. I couldn't even bend for like a week. I was just like, oh no, you can get that. Like, <laughs> cause like it was crazy. Um, right here is where I got hit. Luckily I have abs of steel. So anyways, um, <laughs> no, I just really skinny. Um, so here's what, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm telling you this story. Here's what I wanna say. I walked away from that experience with two types of fear. <laughs> I walked away from it with a worldly PTSD type of fear, okay? <laughs> Truly, like I really had PTSD from that. I wouldn't pitch after that. I pitched like two innings the next game and was terrified the whole time and was like, hey, Bob, put someone else to pitch. Like, you know, I, I can't do it. Um, and my team was just loving towards me and you know, like I processed it, I talked to a counselor about it and I got some more understanding of what was going on for me and got prayer and healing and everything. And I'm pretty much leaving that fear behind. Okay, I still got some of it, if I'm being real. But what I also walked away from that experience with, what I also walked away from that experience with was reverence for pitching. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? I have an understanding now that that ball knows best. <laughs> no, I mean, I understand that ball can come back at me like really hard, fast, faster than I can move and can really do damage, you know, like, so it's not that we're thinking, oh man, God's going to do damage to us, but it's an understanding of reality. Reality is God is higher than us. The truth of the matter is God knows best. The truth of the matter is God's ways are higher than our ways. So when we walk in the fear of the Lord, what we're doing is we're walking in divine order. We're walking in the way that God intended us to. You are higher, you know best, I submit to you, I will follow you, no matter what. So the, the concept we wanna have in our head for the fear of the Lord is this, reverence and awe. That's what we're thinking here. You know that's the, what, the song we, saw, we sang earlier, restore our hearts in reverence. That's us praying and crying out for the fear of the Lord to hit us. That we would walk in the fear of the Lord. It's a moral mindset. It's a recognition that humans don't decide what is right or wrong. <clears throat> we don't decide 
I mean, just think about how much that sounds like postmodernism. Postmodernism just says uh, there's no absolutes, so you just pick. Problem is, that's an absolute. <laughs> to say there's no absolutes, and anyways, our, our society is more and more becoming a postmodern society where you kind of just decide what feels best. What's that sound like? Sensual earthly wisdom. But divine wisdom says, no, God decides moral absolutes. I don't, my desires don't dictate what's right and wrong. God dictates what's right and wrong and I come into alignment with him. So let's end here, just turn to Matthew really quick. Matthew 10, verses 28 to 33. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So I love this passage because it hits on fearing God and his love at the same time. It says, don't fear, it's, it's really the context is evangelism. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. He's saying, don't be scared to show, demonstrate, proclaim your faith in front of people who will put you in prison. You know, that's not even our fear here in the United States, but in their context, that's what they were facing was, if you share the gospel, you might get thrown in jail. And we see that happening all throughout the book of Acts. So he's saying, don't have a reverence for what other people think above a reverence for me and what I say to do. You're elevating what other people think above who I say you are. Evangelism isn't about doing something, it's about being something, okay? Like, I tell, uh, um, so don't revere other people's opinions, your anticipations of what other people are gonna think about you. Don't revere that above who God has made you and the mission he has given you. And then he goes on to say some, he throws in that really scary thing, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's just perspective. He's saying, look, the worst that they can do is kill you. They don't have the ability to affect your eternal salvation. He's saying, you know who does have the ability to affect your eternal salvation? Only God. And it's not like a threat. I don't think Jesus is saying like, if you don't listen, I'm gonna affect your eternal salvation. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's just saying, perspective, people. <laughs> Have perspective. Live with eternity in mind. And then I think that honestly, this is, Jesus can correct me in heaven or whatever, but this is really what I think is going on in Jesus' mind. Man, I just said some tough stuff. I'm gonna kind of um, illuminate love now a little bit. I just said some things that are probably hard to understand. Now I'm gonna throw in some clarity about love. And then he says, how much does God care about his creation? Sparrows, he even cares about sparrows. What God would care about sparrows? What God would care about sparrows? Our God. Our God cares about sparrows. You know, he also cares about our political opponents. <laughs> he also cares about people we disagree with. 
Like this is the type of love we're supposed to have. Um, so he's, he's understanding, here, understand who God is. He's radically loving, like countercultural, crazy loving. And then verses 32 and 33, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father. But whoever denies before men, I will deny before my father. Again, you can read that through like a fearful, fleshly mindset. And it's just like, ouch, what the heck, Jesus? But then you read it through the lens of God is good and he loves me. And what you understand is God is setting clear boundaries. He's being, uh, he's being, Jesus is being radically clear for us. You want to know how to be in relationship? You, you want to know how to get acknowledged before my father? Acknowledge me. Simple. It's not that, like, it's that simple. Acknowledge me in your heart and I will recognize you before my father. And he's also adds before men. That's part of baptism. When you get baptized, you're saying, hey, I'm acknowledging God before men. Um, so here's what I want us to take away. Fearing God is not about feeling unsafe. It's not about, will he punish me? Is he trustworthy? Fearing God is about recognizing your standing in the universe. In the universe, I am beneath him. He is right, I am wrong. <laughs> That's the essence of fearing God. Deep reverence, a sober realization that God's ways are higher and I will submit to his ways at all costs. And here's how we're gonna steward that without becoming Pharisees, receiving his love. If we'll receive his love and we'll give his love the way he does, we'll steward the fear of the Lord in a way that people will be running to us saying, What's different about you? So Lord, I just pray that'd be true for me. I really wanna walk in that, God. And I pray that for everyone in this room too, that we would walk in a committed surrender towards you and that we would be so open to receiving your love. That's, that's what I wanna minister right now. Lord, I just pray against the things that keep us from receiving your love. Root those out. Just say this. Say this out loud. Say, God, root out of me what's keeping me from receiving. So right now, in Jesus' name, I break that off of you. I pray it's a day of breakthrough for you right now to begin to receive, receive, receive. In Jesus' name, amen.